you have to have a lot of knowledge and it is a lot of communication and a lot of trust. Someone is putting their life in your hands and you have to be responsible and care enough to make sure that they're safe, having a good time and that you're experiencing it together. Hello, everyone. This week, we have what an amazing show for you, a very colorful show, as a matter of fact. This week, we're actually going to delve into a little bit of the kink and fetish scene within Chicago. So needless to say, it's going to get colorful. It's going to get painful. It's going to involve a lot of mindsets, a lot of concepts, a lot of terminology, but it's an aspect that's uh, pretty vibrant in our city. So we have a professional dominatrix who sits in with us and explains to us her expertise of being in the career for over 17 years, her clientele, her experiences. And uh, we'll pause at various moments to explain terms and concepts the best we can. We know not your knowledge on these matters. But nevertheless, it's pretty fun. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, okay. I normally don't do this, but the nature of the topic at hand warrants a pause or a glossary pause. So we might hear some things in this episode, and we may not know what they are, and I'm going to try to first forecast what people may not know, and then try to explain what it is. Dominatrix is described by Wikipedia. The term dominatrix is sometimes used to describe a female professional, dominant, or pro-dom, who is paid to engage in BDSM with a submissive. An appointment or role play is referred to as a session, is often conducted in a dedicated professional play space, which has been set up with specialist equipment known as a dungeon. Hi, Maya. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm chilling. It's a snowy night in Chicago. What, um, what's been going... So, okay, you were in Vegas. Yeah, I just got back from Vegas about two days ago. And then you've done the porn awards there more than once. What exactly is your role around the AVN awards? Um, I'm not particularly involved in it. I just attend every year and I go to shoot video. I go to, you know, be at booths representing myself, go to party, go to meet new people. So you are networking yourself and your practice while you're in Vegas. Absolutely. You get all sorts of gigs across the country? I do. Do they come to you all the time? Do you go to them? I don't think I have ever in my entire life pitched someone for work at all. So yeah, all my gigs come to me. That's awesome. So what is your gig? I am a professional dominatrix. I am a smut peddler. (laughs) I am a fetish performer. And then overall, just kind of professional pervert. So when you say smut peddler, Mm -hmm. what are we we talking about? I make fetish movies. Fetish is an irrational sexual reverence for something that isn't typically thought of as sexual. It's a non-sexual thing that is a central focus of someone's sexual desire. (laughs) 
that can be anything from just kind of a POV to I've been doing a lot of vampire porn recently. I do stuff like splashing, humiliation, forced fum, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Splashing, wet and messy fetish, also known as splashing, is a form of sexual fetishism whereby a person becomes aroused when copious amounts of a substance are applied to the naked skin, face, or to clothing. Just imagine a naked food fight. <laughs> Splashing's fun. It's wet and messy play where you take people either like sweet or savory things and having them thrown at them, rubbed on their skin, so just making like a sticky sort of textural mess that can be very like erotic and provocative to feel. When you talk about splashing or some of the other things that you mentioned, a lot of it could be non-sexual. It could right. just be mm -hmm. sensation. It could be feel. It could be... Or sensory deprivation. So how does one get to that point where they know what they like or don't like or what they may or may not be into? You just don't wake up one day and say... I'd like to be hit in the face with a can of beans. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that would be an interesting cold. day if that's how you woke up. But Not to be generic, but I feel like there's always something that stems from someone's childhood, an image that they saw, a memory, maybe even a scent, and they find it either erotic or therapeutic. And as they recall it, even if it's subconscious, and they get older, something about that to them is triggering and it makes them want to explore it, and they start to really fetishize it and kind of get it in their head as something that they want to explore. And the longer they go without, the more you know intense their fetish gets, in my opinion. You said there, there's a trigger, mm -hmm. and they know it, and then they start to crave it more. For some reason, it remains dormant, and the longer it's dormant, they want it even more? Yeah, it seems like that. Yeah. And then once they act out on it... It's like such a rush and an intense feeling, and they get this high, and then there's a low point where it's like, oh, that was so much fun, I miss it. And then there's a, I need to do it again, it's that pressing, urgent need. Roller coaster up and right. down. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. That's kind of the person receiving it, whatever it is, whether mm -hmm. it be the pleasure, the pain, the experience. But there's also an individual from the other side. How does one get into that? You have a lot of, it's not even authority, but you have a lot of responsibility, right? Absolutely, 100%. There's a lot of trust and there's a lot of communication involved and could be potentially a lot of pressure. Well, I'll tell you, I've been doing this for 17 years professionally, okay. a really long time. It's not a quick journey, but most people start off doing an apprenticeship like you would at most kind of careers and, you know, learning through books and then actual practice and mastering certain areas of the field and it you have to have a lot of knowledge, and it is a lot of communication and a lot of trust. Someone is putting their life in your hands, and you have to be responsible and care enough to make sure that they're safe, having a good time, and that you're experiencing it together. Did you apprentice 17 years ago? I apprenticed for about a year. I answered an ad in the Chicago Reader. I'm looking for uh, I think that's awesome. people to apply for a commercial dungeon. So pre-Craigslist, were you looking for it or did it find you? Was it the sort of thing where you were just like, you know what? I want to get into this. What does the Chicago Reader have? Or were you sitting there reading the Reader and said, what's this all about? I honestly don't remember, but you know, I've been kinky for many years. I was kinky in high school. Kink is a sexual behavior that is considered abnormal, unconventional, or strange. 
used to do horrible things to boys, even in grade school. And it's just something that's been a part sadistic? of me. Yeah. Before the world of kink, how was little Maya sadistic? Maya was a bully. <laughs> Were you like kicking kids on the playground, throwing rocks at them and shit? No, but I'd manipulate them to make them do stupid things that they'd get in trouble. You're doing head games <laughs> on boys back in the day. Yeah. Pretty much. I know. It's it's pretty bad. I didn't know any better, but it's always been part of my nature, and I just figured, you know, I was looking through the paper, and I saw, I must have stumbled upon it, but I saw an ad for a dungeon, and I thought, what the hell, you know, I'll give this, this place a call, and I remember going in and interviewing with them, and they asked, what are your hard limits, and the only thing I could think of is, and what I said, pardon me for being direct. So I really don't want to shit any, on anyone right now. <laughs> I said I'm pretty open to everything else as long as I have better training. What was training like? What was the apprenticeship like? Well, I was learning through other jobs that were there that were more experienced, but mm-hmm. I would say that they didn't have that much more training than I did through having done research and reading books ahead of time. And they had a houseboy that was there to practice on, and it really was just kind of, here's a couple demonstrations and we're throwing you in and monitoring you and seeing how you do dungeon dungeon is you know just a bdsm playground that has equipment and toys houseboy male submissive who does housework in return for humiliation sexually degrading acts etc rather than money payment typically the houseboy works in the dungeon houseboy is pretty much a servant that shows up at the dungeon for a day or a couple days that's there for training purposes for cleaning purposes so they'll take care of cleaning the facility and when they're needed for a demonstration they'll come out and be someone that gets whipped or someone that gets kicked in the balls or whatever practice is needed for someone in training and he does all the tasks that no one else wants to do as far as keeping (laughs) everything clean (laughs) i know my personal slaves i have do like really degrading things how many personal slaves do you have today I have very few. Although the term slave makes me cringe as an African-American male, in the context of BDSM, the term slave is one half of the term master-slave relationship in which one individual serves another in an authority exchange structured relationship. Sometimes those relationships can actually have contracts. Many times there's training involved. It's a lot of trust. It's a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot of pain in the ass a lot of the times. But then when you have a good slave and you train them, they're worth keeping. And it's, you know, all the pain and suffering of getting them to that point is worth it. Right. But in most cases, people aren't worth it from the get-go. You have a very intense screening process then to make sure that your time is well invested, I take it? Absolutely. And so your slaves know that once they're your slave, that's actually a high regard to be in such a low place? No, they, they wouldn't consider being at a low place. They really look forward to it. And they do live in fear of fucking up and what will happen if they fuck up. But that's part of the game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. So, so if I can circle back, how, about how many do you have at the, right now? Well, I have some slaves that are personal slaves that serve me in different uses that live around the country, so I don't get to see them often. I have a lot of people doing bitch work all over the country for me. <laughs> so, yeah. When you say slave, correct me if I'm wrong, you're talking about someone that you have verbally, non-verbally come to an agreement that they're okay with being in this 
submissive dynamic Correct. with you and they trust you and they've given you their limitations and all that. And you said, okay, I got it. I understand it. And when people are enrolled, anytime you're around, they're enrolled. Well, I will say what you're talking about is slavery. It is like a consensual agreement to be a kind of property. With my slaves, it's a little bit different because I expect them to be 24-7. If I call or text you, you get out of whatever fucking meeting you're in and you come do what I need you to do. But I use that power sparingly and if it's something i need i will make them get out of whatever they're doing and come serve me but i respect that they have lives so it's not a 24 7 thing i respect that some of them are married and have commitments so one of the things that i found interesting is this understanding that you may be the dominant person in that dynamic in that relationship Mm -hmm. but a lot of times you're actually doing the things that you're doing for them at times it's actually you've taken into consideration this is what they get out of this and i'm giving them something even though they've submitted to me it is giving something as kind of a reward so i'll have people do bitch work all day long and i'll take into consideration they like foot worship or you know they like spanking and okay when they're done if they do a good job and i'm satisfied then i will let them have some foot worship or spanking or whatever it is that they enjoy as kind of a treat when you reach out to a slave that slave better damn well report back immediately or get out of any meeting that they are in meeting implies white collar clientele the cliche correct me if i'm wrong is that a lot of the primary demographic of your clientele would be affluent males does that hold true my clients i would say are mostly middle-aged they're a little bit more well-off I do have blue-collar clients, but you're right, it is mostly more affluent, white, middle-aged men. For them, is their ties and experience with you clandestine, or do their significant others know about it? Do you know any of this? In some cases, I have men that come in that have been married for a long time, and their wives aren't into it. So they approve of them going out and seeing a dominatrix, and some of them know they're specifically seeing me. Some of them just know that they're going out that evening and indulging in their fetishes and coming back home and having, you know, hopefully a great sexual experience with their partner. And then others just keep it completely hush-hush. I think most of Chicago keeps it completely hush-hush. Dominatrices do or do not have sex with their clientele. Traditionally, and in my case, dominatrices do not have sex with their clientele. That's just not a service that we offer. It's more about... You know, the spanking, whipping, power exchange, humiliation, things of that nature. Kinks and impact play sort of thing. Exactly. It's not of the super sexual nature. I feel like that's a misconception in many places. It is. And there are certainly different ladies that work in the industry that are fetish providers that provide more than just fetish and do escorts, escort work. But I wouldn't consider them dominatrixes. I would consider them fetish escorts. There is something sexual for some people, sure. about that experience. And sure. you may not enter into sex act, right. but I, I can imagine things happening and they're, they're aroused or they're sure. into it. I do understand that there's a mental and emotional part of it too, right? What part of it is merely emotional, mental, giving up oneself, and what part of it is, is sexual? Because you store all that up. and You said they go back home and they have this great experience. For some people, it is a sexual act for sure for some people it's just it's very sensory related it's very like sexual in aspects and it's a turn on and it 
it's a buildup, as we were saying earlier, like a roller coaster. If you're in a marriage, it gets kind of boring, and here it is, you book two hours that someone is paying complete attention to you, and they're scratching you and touching you lightly. You know that they're giving you their 100% undivided attention. That makes you feel really good in a sexual way, in an emotional way, mm-hmm. pretty much in a, you know, just a fulfilling way. Would it be safe to say that it's a form of sexual gratification devoid of sexual contact? You could say that for some people, sure, yeah. If you don't mind me asking... A two to four hour session, what does that set someone back? It depends on the type of scene. For me personally, for a two hour session, I would ask for $500 as a gift. Everybody charges differently, though, so. That's not a small chunk of change. She's been in this business for 17 years. Oh, I know. I, I get and it. And I just... charge about the same as everyone that's around, even with the experience I have. It does cost a lot of money, but for some people, it's very much worth it. And for some people, they need it. And it can be better than therapy. It can be better than a ton of things for them. Usually when people leave my place, their eyes are a little bit glossed over. They look a little bit high. I have to sit with them for a while until their you know, heartbeat kind of calms down and get them back into a normal headspace. But, you know, they have a great time. You're soothing and calming down, right? Yeah, it's a cooling down period. Exactly. What are some of the more minimalistic fetishes that you come upon because i feel like in many cases when one thinks of fetish there's all sorts of extreme 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 there's dungeons and there's whips and there's props what are some of the basic dynamics that you deal with that are understated i would say the absolute biggest fetish is foot fetish touching smelling looking at watching a woman pose their feet at various angles foot fetish is huge and it's a really simple kind of basic fetish. So but someone would come towards you it. and yeah. say, "Hello, so hello, Miss Sinstress, Miss, sure. Miss Maya. How do you how do you typically get addressed? Sinstress or Miss Maya? Okay. So someone comes forward and says, "Hello, Miss Maya. I'm a prospective client. I see you do that whole foot thing. I think I might be into that foot thing. Uh, <laughs> could you show me the foot thing?" <laughs> So, oh, we don't mind my slang on the matter, <laughs> but uh, they 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 tribute you, uh, your premium. They come forward, then has access to Ms. Mai's feet, and just for a couple hours is just giving you a foot massage. Is that? That really holds true? I mean, that's typically how it would work. I personally don't like people touching me or kissing me in any regard, unless it's a good slave of mine that's earned being able to kiss my feet, and that's about the only part I would let them touch. So foot worship is high up on your ladder, then, as far as (laughs) access. Is that correct? I don't like people touching me, so someone really has to earn it. Yeah, if someone had a foot fetish and wanted to play, they'd probably come in and like sit on the floor underneath you, massage your feet be honored with being allowed to unclip the garters for your stockings and pull them down and being able to sniff your stockings. Your demeanor changes when you're talking about certain things, right? Oh, so, for sure. I can get in my head space and I don't really differentiate, you know, the Maya that's my everyday and the Maya that's my professional career, but I can definitely get into head space when presented with like oh this is what we're gonna do for the day and it's like awesome my voice changes i know my mannerisms too as well how do you balance that life which is your professional with your personal xanax and a mood stabilizer (laughs) 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 no seriously it's not always easy but i try to keep them one in the same but Mm -hmm. there are certainly times where it becomes difficult as a you know a sex industry provider for anyone, it's not difficult to maintain relationships. 
of like a boyfriend, girlfriend or whatever, girlfriend, girlfriend status. And I do find times where I start treating my partners like, well, why, why am I coming home and the dishes aren't done? Well, now we're not fucking. (laughs) (laughs) I do do that. And then I have to remember like, okay, this is not my slave. You have to compartmentalize. (sighs) Right. Yeah. It's like, I cannot put, I still do, but I know I shouldn't punish them. Right. Right. I still do. Okay. Here's a question. In Mm -hmm. your personal life, do you still incorporate some amount of a, of a power dynamic? Do you, or do you still need it? Or is that satiated by your work? It's mostly satiated by my work, but when it comes to training and discipline, like I can't, I can't remove that. It sounds like we're seeing the duality of a lot of your clientele. Some are able to preview what they want in a kink world and then go after it. Others get permission from a significant other. I guess what I'm asking is you get to see the juxtaposition between how someone presents themselves socially and within their work. What sorts of dynamics do you see between the suit and tie and the whatever the hell you put them in? Can you talk about that dynamic at all as far as the juxtaposition that you see between the two different sides of people and your overall encompassing observation? There are definitely patterns, which is a little bit weird. What sort of patterns do you see? Well, okay, let's say someone is contacting me that is a typical office worker, and I know that they want to try cross-dressing or something of the sort. Coming in before they even arrive, I know that they're also going to like spanking. I know that they're probably going to try to hump my leg (laughs) when I spank them. And I can tell probably, you know, 10 different things that I know that they'll enjoy without having talked to them about it that they might not even know that they enjoy because it is a typical pattern. But it is really cool to see people that are, you know, really structured in their everyday life that come in and they're nervous and fidgeting around and getting sweaty and it's like their hands are getting clammy. It's like, okay, strip down. Do you enjoy those first meetings and seeing them? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just observe. <laughs> I'm like, yes, they're very nervous now. This will be fun. So you kind of have this tree of kink and you know if they're attached to one branch they're probably attached to two or three others right and then when they come in and you know they're just kind of stripped of everything and we go from exploring what they came in as to putting them in panties and lingerie and lipstick and making them act really slutty it's just a total 360 from what they entered as and then when they leave they kind of go back but (laughs) it's never the same (laughs) no it's never the same yeah a lot of times people have these wonderful experiences, these great experiences. I'm sure you've had some experiences that weren't great that just was like, whoa, okay. Sure. You're not ready or how do you recover from that? And how do you get back to a place where you can rebuild that with someone? There's been times where I've seen people that I don't have chemistry with Mm -hmm. and I'm sure they're probably feeling it on their end. I'm really good at screening people ahead of time and knowing if we'll enjoy each other's company or not. But, you know, there's been experiences where it's just like we aren't clicking. They're not giving me any body language, any noises, anything where I can't tell if they're liking something. And it's just been no chemistry. So I just try to act professional. And then at the end of the session, tell them what I enjoyed about it and, you know, hope they had a good time. And if they contact me after that to come play again, I just say that I don't think we're the best match. And I recommend someone to them that they might enjoy seeing. Here's a dirty question. Oh, I like dirty question. In that regard, you tell someone this was good, this was great, but you should see someone else. You give them the recommendation. Have you done that, taking that course of action, and then someone comes back and says, no, I want you. Have you had the obsessive client? 
<laughs> I'm shaking my head right now. Yes, I have money that still will pop up every couple of months that'll ask if they about, can come back in. How do you go about safety screenings initially? How do you go about keeping your distance, stalkers, those sorts of scenarios? Stalkers don't come up that often, but there are several websites as a provider that I use. There's also an underground Chicago blacklist of where we share information that's private about people that might potentially be unsafe, that are sketchy, maybe mentally unstable, that we report in. And as a provider, I get references on everyone. That's not often I'll see someone that doesn't have a really solid reference. There's lots of ways to research people and make sure that they're okay. That database is shared amongst, what, the entire kink scene, all the other dominatrixes? Dominatrixes, escorts, sex workers in general, yeah. So you guys are helping each other out with with these networks. Whether we get along or not, we do all help each other out. (laughs) So there's a code of ethics. Yeah, there is a code of ethics. That's actually a perfect segue into something I wanted to talk about. The broader kink scene, the broader dominatrix scene. Because you travel around the country. What is it like here compared to other places? Chicago, for a big city, is uh, it's pretty conservative. We don't have many events here. We did have Shibari Con every year. That's now over. Other than that, we we don't really have a... What about that leather convention? Well, we have International Mr. Leather, yes. Shibari is the Japanese technique, right, of roping? Look at you! Oh, wow! <laughs> <laughs> Look rope, at you. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Internet. The internet's a great thing. The internet's a great thing. It's the same weekend as International Mr. Leather, and we still have that here. Other than that, there's, I think it's just one dungeon left that throws monthly parties. Mm-hmm. There's kind of one-off events. Exit still hosts Bonded to Go-Go once a week. But we don't really have a good community here for public events and play as compared to New York that almost every weekend you can find events to go to or la has weekly events that are open to the public open to the public yeah some private parties but more private there we go that's a word or what about a city like vegas known for sin is it is there enough to thrive on there as far as regular events or because it's a city of people traveling in and out there's nothing regular enough well on my last trip a couple days ago halo noir throws a regular party that we attended in Vegas. There used to be a power exchange club that if you've been to the one in San Francisco, they had one in Vegas, but it's closed down now. It didn't last long. So maybe they can't sustain something of that sort. I'm just always fascinated by clientele. Have you had, you do not need to identify (laughs) anyone. Of course. Yeah. Have you had famous clientele? I have. I have. Like A-list famous? Mm, no but like had, if you said you don't have to but if you said the name we'd be like get the fuck out we, we I 100% know who, have and it's you know privacy is hugely important which is why I not, don't identify I'm just curious I just want to 100% wanna... would not but I there cool. is someone in my head I'm thinking of that you would fucking die <laughs> Damn. Okay. but um, you will never know that's fine what do you think we need then if you say that New York has such an open regularly occurring scene Los Angeles as well. What what sort of factors does Chicago need in order to facilitate that sort of an environment? I will first off say that I really appreciate other cities having a great and open kink scene. 
Because if I'm going to go out and have fun, I'm going to leave my hometown, which I think other people agree upon as well. Chicago being so conservative, I think we'll always have a hard time feeling comfortable coming out and participating in a city that's one that they live in. Getting dirty here and having the chance that people will possibly discover what they're into. I feel like we have yet another juxtaposition here because you say that, yes, we do not have such a wide open scene comparative to other cities but yet you've been in business for uh, for almost two decades you've been in business for over 17 oh, years sorry <laughs> uh, uh, <no>. sorry <laughs> but you've been you've been able to sustain yourself you are not the only person you mentioned right. earlier how there are these networking sites where even rivals will still share information for sake of right. of, uh, of of security so therefore there's a lot of similar tangent industries around your work escort work and so forth so there's plenty of business happening here would you say that we have a thriving sex work industry in chicago i would say we have a really decent sex work industry in chicago it's healthy it's healthy and viable if you do it right we have healthy and viable for multiple people to establish a career on and stay active within for years and years and years sure then we have the more open festivals like pride fest where we can be open and have huge blocks cut off for people to express and be open about sexuality in right. daylight. Not all cities have that. So if all of this is active, it sounds like to me we have a degree of activity, but it's still clandestine. Is the only difference between us and a different city just how open the doors are? We are just so conservative here. Mm-hmm. We 100% are. People don't want to go out and share what they're into. They still feel a little bit dirty about it. You know, they're just not ready to share that. They're too concerned that they're going to run into people. Chicago's in the closet? Chicago is very much in the closet. I think from my experience and what I've seen and what I've read, I'm from Chicago, born and raised. Chicago is still a Midwestern city. Chicago is a blue city surrounded within 120 miles of nothing but red. And I know some of that red enjoys kink, but overall, it's mostly red. And so th- I think that influences Chicago. I think another thing potentially is just the volume, right? New York is just bigger than Chicago. You have right. critical mass and and you can go out in New York and not see anyone in that scene. And I think New York has that, you know, I don't give a fuck sort of attitude where yeah. it's like, you know, so fucking what? I, this know. is what I enjoy. I'm going to yeah. go do it. If I run into someone I know, yeah. I don't care. Like... <laughs> And L.A. is similar in a different way. It's like, it's L.A. Like, I'm out here. There's something for everybody to do. So I think I get the sense that Chicago, it's out there. But I think some of the things are more so behind closed doors. Whereas in L.A. and New York, the way you describe it, they have more open things. And, you know, they have one big or two big places where a lot of these things are happening. Yeah, they do. There's They have, you know, more open venues that are public where people can explore. And I think if I did have a magic wand and waved it in Chicago, you know, honestly, I wouldn't want to because I don't think it would really improve anything. I don't think people would come out. I don't think that anything would really help. I know that's sad to say, but I don't think people would come out. So an open door doesn't get people to come out of the closet. But I do believe what you are saying, though, is that there aren't a lot of big open spaces, but there are still people enjoying it in more one-on-one settings. Absolutely. It's just in a private yeah. or a 10 on one. It's just in a private, <laughs> yeah. in a private setting. Right. People right. here don't want to be public about it. So 
I respect that. I wouldn't want to make people come out of their comfort level and come yeah. out and do something in public. That I see the pros to. and cons of that, right? The pro is I live in this community where I know it's kind of conservative. I don't want to go out and everybody seeing me. Like You run into the right. same people. The con is when you do want to go out, you kind of have to go elsewhere. Absolutely. <laughs> Unfortunately, but absolutely, yeah. Do you still see yourself here in 10 years doing this? I absolutely adore my dungeon here. I have spent years putting it together. And maybe one day I'll be able to afford to have two places. But I will be in Chicago for quite some time. It's something I enjoy. I love my place here. But I could also see my place myself having a place in New Orleans or New York. You chuckled when Hank said almost two decades. <laughs> yeah. You know, you think about people that are doing something that is this mentally, emotionally physically rigorous it really is you gotta have a shelf life how long do most people do this lifespan for this for this industry is about two years two years two years you're literally you know like grandma (laughs) your term not ours people you know, when they get in the community, usually are between like one and two years starting off, and they don't make a lot of money right away, which is what people assume that we do. And when that doesn't happen, and they've invested two years, it's kind of the backup point. This career is very like needy, and it's very tolling emotionally and physically, and it's hard to sustain for a long period of time. There's very few people in the community that I know that have been in the industry for over 20 years that are still thriving, have a good attitude about it, and uh, are ahead of the game. I can't name that many. When you got started, did you have a day job at the same time? I was going to school at the same time. Can you say what you're going to school for? I went to the Art Institute of Chicago. What? <laughs> I Were, did. So he, there loves, was a, he, loves, he loves the Art Institute. There was a sadistic girl too. wearing all black at the Art Institute? Is that what you're telling us? I went in the fiber department of the Art Institute with all sadistic girls wearing all black, and I had three people in the fiber department that also worked at the same commercial dungeon I did while I went to school there. <laughs> that right there, that's like a mini series right there. That's a yep. sitcom right there. So you go to class together mm-hmm. doing fine art. Yeah. Smoke cigarettes outside in the, in the sub-zero weather in January, <laughs> right? Is that the case? I didn't know. Until I started working at the dungeon that someone from one of my classes was also a dominatrix. And then someone else in the department I hadn't met yet also worked at the dungeon. Is this person still practicing? Neither of them are, no. Still standing, Maya. <laughs> Somehow. The typical longevity of a career in dominatrixing lasts only two years. You said they don't make the quick cash. They don't think about the long game. They want the short game. Right. Is that the number one deterrent, you'd say, as far as noobs? not making it in the scene for a career? Should you set up for a career and not a quick hustle? You'd have to set up for a career. I would say another deterrent is just people don't expect that it's not going to be the sort of sexy thing that you see in magazines that's a beautiful woman in latex and like a slave with like six-pack abs. It's bent over. You know, it's not like that. What's it really like? (laughs) Well. (laughs) No, seriously. Take that image that you just put up there. Yeah. So if that's the fantasy, Mm -hmm. what's the reality scenario building off of that? Well, the image of the woman would probably be the same. The image of the slave would be very different. It would be someone who is probably six years old, has a hard time being on his knees. So you have to like make sure that there's padding for him to be on. And he has sensitive skin where if you 
hit him too hard with a whip or a flag or his skin's going to peel off and he's going to have marks that can't be left there. So you have to think about all of these things. And suddenly the sexy image is very much becoming work and safety related. I didn't even think about that. You have to curb your impact. 100%. So that you don't leave a mark. Mm Mm-hmm. That almost sounds to me like Spanish Inquisition sort of like <laughs> techniques because back then they could torture anyone, but they couldn't bleed them. Right. No blood. You have to hit people and not leave bruises. Yeah. Well, I can torture people in ways that won't leave bruises. You speaking more psychological than physical? Physical as well, but yeah. You can torture people physically without leaving bruises. Uh-huh. Can you give an example? One of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> I have these uh, metal hand traps from Sex and Metal. Metal so they, what? They're called hand traps. Metal they hand, sp- like a Chinese finger trap? No, they spread your hands apart. Like a glove? Yes, with metal kind of posts in between. Okay. So I take them so someone can't close their hands, and I like to drive needles under their fingertips. And that will not bruise. It typically bleeds. It's really painful for several days. There's a lot but there's of no nerves marks. under there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you inflict a ton of pain yeah. by knowing the nerves. And they go home not having marks and... And hiding for days. <laughs> oh, no. Some mm-hmm. of your clients are okay with bruising, right? Mm-hmm. There are some people that are 35, 40 years old. Sure, some can have bruises, but most people can't. They just want them in discreet locations. If they can have them, yeah, definitely. Below work clothesline. Can you spend a little bit of time kind of discussing this stereotype commercial idea of what the scene is? Like, for example, the movie Secretary. Have you seen this movie? Yes, I have. Uh, or Fifty Shades of Grey. If you use Fifty Shades I haven't, anything. Read, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't read or seen the movie either, yeah. but I have seen Secretary. It came out a long time ago. And that movie was pretty progressive for 03, but most people I talk to say that's actually a good kind of depiction at the time i feel like it is a good depiction except for the end the end gets a little bit too cheesy kind of i mean that wouldn't happen but people consume this commercial idea of what it is and how that makes you all look and how do you feel about that i feel like people definitely do romanticize bdsm and fetish a lot which they should there's so much more thought and process and time that goes into it than one could even possibly imagine. And this is coming from a professional or lifestyle standpoint. It's just a lot more thought and effort. You know, you just can't magically click your heels and make someone be able to, you know, be comfortable with having these forms of torture induced on them and enjoying it. Right. You know, it takes time to build that up, to create that scene. To bounce off of the Fifty Shades thing, I also haven't read it. I've definitely like everyone else has, fell witness to its zeitgeist buzz. Have you seen an influx of traffic after that release? I had some people contact me. I had a couple more couples than I would normally get contacting me afterwards, but I didn't really see this boom that I know a lot of other people might see, but I also don't advertise in a way that's very welcoming to newcomers (laughs) intentionally. You say you advertise in a way that's not welcoming. What does that mean? I mean, the image I portray online, a lot of my clients that uh, I end up seeing tell me they've wanted to see me for years and they were scared. And once they actually do see me, they tell me like, wow, you're really sweet and really like on top of it and really nurturing, which I am. But I don't want people to know that because I don't want just people coming in off the street that are not my kind of people. I don't want to see someone that wants to come in and like lick on my toes for an hour it's like no they have to earn it i want people that 
are scared, want to be obedient, like want that head rush, want the psychological games. I don't want to sit there and be like, I'm going to give you 10 spankings now. Are you ready for this? I'm not going to be that person. It's going to be like, grab your fucking ankles and here it comes. So <laughs> I try to weed out the people that need uh, that kind of guidance. And then in terms of screening, I mean, there's a bunch of sites that you can use. So it's, just, it's use the network resources. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. A lot of them are paid sites. Uh, How do you advertise typically then? Do you put ads in the Chicago Reader? I don't think I have since maybe like 2003. Okay. <laughs> and you guys know what's going on with Backpage right now? A lot of providers in all aspects of the sex industry were advertising on Backpage. And as of like maybe two weeks ago. It's like a Craigslist sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. As of like two weeks ago, all of the ads for any sort of sex work have now been censored. Including with... your line of work where you're Absolutely. not having sexual contact. What Absolutely. do you mean censored? They've been blocked. Someone else could probably speak better about it than I can. But credit card companies have been pushing them that they can't, you know, accept their funds because they're possibly involved with sex trafficking. I read about that in Backpage. Well, there was a sex trafficking incident from before with one of its owners, but Backpage got pressured and can't take credit cards. And then they were using Bitcoin and it was more pressure. And now it's Congress that is censoring them saying that there could be sex trafficking and things, so they can't advertise for these services whatsoever. Unrelated to this topic, there is absolutely sex trafficking happening on Backpage. Unrelated. Oh, for sure. There is. Because I, I remember reading this article some time ago, and even, like like you said, the founder was involved with yeah. something directly. Did you read this? I came across this in the weeks building up when I found out you, you were going to be on. So Backpage is like Craigslist personal it's the same as craigslist i'd say same category as if like more direct sell your car definitely more direct they allow way more explicit language they know what's going on yes or at least they know what sorts of what they're using the page for they know that it's for sex work advertising yes a little background on the back page issue a back page is similar to craigslist Uh, it also has a classified section that allows people to go out and pay for sex sex acts so there's two sides of the coin one are those people for first amendment free speech rights and sex workers are in one group and then on the other side are folks that are anti-trafficking so Backpage does create a safe space for sex workers to advertise to screen for services But it also is a place where people abuse the site and it promotes human trafficking. There are a lot of people who have been kidnapped or who run away and are kidnapped by pimps and their ads are placed on Backpage. The U.S. Senate came down pretty hard on Backpage and its founders, arrested the founders, or work with states to arrest the founders. So with that being said, Backpage shut down a portion of their classified section. Over the past year, they've taken down certain elements of the classified. So for example, the research indicates that if you go out there, you can't find outright sex work, but you may be able to find sensual massages, so to speak. So that's the big back page issue back in the day people did use craigslist That's everyone right. was driven out of craigslist people went over to back page yep. if you pull up on your phone by the way back page yeah. the main page yeah 
and you'll go over to the sections that are like adult work, it'll all show up as censored and it will pull up what the bill is that's present right now and why it's being censored. Wow. Yeah. And this is federally? This is international? This I think is... it's federally. Okay. That was a huge source of advertising to answer your question for most people, especially when traveling. With... You also have been in the, the game for a while, right? And so right. it and may I don't not take hurt, a ton of new clients. Right. And so it may it not hurt not. you as much, but it might hurt the person that's has already started, but that's their mode and they haven't they haven't built up their clientele. So three, four, five years in, they're like at that point where they can start making a good living. Who it's going to hurt more is the providers because they don't have an affordable outlet for advertising. Right. So if they are working and need the money and aren't getting the work all of a sudden and becoming more desperate for work, they're going to go through other means to see clients, which might not be the safest alternate. So it's more Ooh. dangerous for the providers. Right. Well, it's okay. not a screening means, but a way of advertising. They're going to be more desperate to get clients. And where are you going to get them? Take chances and gamble. Uh -huh. and you're going to yeah. fall victim to the clients you don't yeah. want to have. 100%. So that's, yeah, that's where the danger level is at right now. Have you ever been in that sort of a scenario before? Meeting someone in person and then realizing they're not a safe person? I think I've met three people. I'm really good with screening and with intuition, but I think I've met three people ever that showed up at my door and I could tell something was, wasn't right and I kicked them out right away. So you, you've had apprentices. I've had many. How does that work out for you? They don't last the two-year mark. I've had a couple that have lasted longer. Miss Vine is still with me that I think has been with me for almost 10 years. But for the most part, they don't make it a year. One more. out of 30? One out of 30. <laughs> I'm asking. One out of 30 graduating class. It's maybe two. But have they gone on to do their own thing or are they just out of the biz? One is uh, working full-time doing something else. So she very seldomly works for me unless it's something I think she'd really enjoy and I bring her in on. The other lady also works two full-time jobs, so she's around if it's something that would suit her. But otherwise, yeah, it's just not worth the time involved to train someone. <laughs> Maya, a moment ago, mm -hmm. you perked up and seemed very proud about inflicting pain with needles under people's fingernails. Yeah. For the week of heart, time to split. Maya, how else do you like to inflict pain? What are your favorite methods? Am I personal life or professional life? Tell me both. Well, I mean, you might find it interesting, but in my personal life, I'm very much into blood sports, which obviously is a high risk factor thing. So it's not something I practice in my professional life, um, but it's something I do in my personal life. By what so, means? Scalpels, needles. So um, cutting. Suturing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not a masochist, but I, I'm just getting through this with my with my horror movie state of mind. To be frank with you, like, I could, <laughs> like if you tell me it's theatrical, that's cool. It's great. If you tell yeah. me it's real, I'm gonna go. Hmm. In my professional life, it depends. Like I'm very much a heavy psychological player, so I prefer more mental torture. <laughs> that What's will your favorite way to Hannibal Lecter someone? <laughs> it's person to person, so I can't give you a direct answer. You know, getting to know someone and what would okay. like totally fuck with them. It's very person to person, mm -hmm. and that's what I enjoy delving so into. So you enjoy having that one on one. It's not one scenario that my enjoys, but the scenario right. that you enjoy is right. getting in the head. Right. I, I came to this epiphany that this world, this scene, is kind of no different than what the rest of the world would call normal in a relationship. You get you enter in a relationship with someone, a partner. What most people want in love is they want someone that they absolutely trust, 
that they can communicate the fuck out with. They can bear and share their soul with. They want someone that will do almost anything for them, no matter what it is. And so I started comparing like that relationships to your world. You're kind of creating these same dynamics of like creating that's the key word because what you're describing does not exist in natural life well i don't what, what, oh what, what this doesn't exist no, can I, you find someone that will you know do all of the things that you just listed absolutely really absolutely. how many yeah. people do you know that are that have been married for over 20 years you know that have dedicated, married over 20 years yeah that, that have dedicated their lives that um, are you know still happy and healthy lesser numbers these days whether it be 10 years five years i feel like the aspirational place that you're trying to reach what, what i'm trying to reach every day with my wife right we Going on nine years together, it's the same stuff. Oh, I'm not saying that it's easy or that we hit that mark every day. I've always been a serial monogamous in in all these relationships long term, even before I was got married. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) But but you're striving, you're striving for this thing. You like you want someone to give their all. The specific acts may not be the same. Right. But if I went up to my bedroom right now and asked my wife, I would love, I would really, really love to do this. I get a sense that she would really try to make that happen. Get to know me and pull whatever it is, try to make me a better person, give me what I need. And then afterwards, it's like, okay, we did that. We're going to go to work, do our thing. I found a parallel to that. I mean, you call create, but you create that. I've created, tried to create that. And people I know that experience with their partners. If I'm hearing you correctly, Farah, you're saying that the dynamics that Maya creates are the same dynamics that one wishes to fulfill, create, and maintain on a long-term relationship, but just by different means. You're talking about trust, communication, sex. I would say intimacy, because you wouldn't call everything you do sex. Right, intimacy. intimacy, Yes. Okay. Getting to know one another, sharing time, sharing an experience, extensive communication, very personable, all of these things. But these are just two different means. We have your version, which is, for lack of a better term, Vanilla. I think he is saying that, but what I'm saying is I don't really think that that exists in real life and real relationships these days. And I know you said you're a serial monogamist, but I don't think most people are these days where most people are honest about uh, their sexuality with their partners. Completely agree with you. The other thing, which I would love your, your take on, is that like anything in this world, like the mainstream or the majority appropriates things from cultures or from other people, right? What I found is that there, in my research, there are things that are heavy in the BDSM dominatrix world that people, as Hank would call me, the vanilla people have taken on. So judgmental. I was reading this. I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Some people like straps or handcuffs. That's a little bit more mainstream now, and it wasn't maybe 40 or 50 years ago. Oh, but for that, sure, but yeah. That but came, that came from your world, right? Or some people like this idea of face-sitting, right? That absolutely came from your world, and you, you all do it a little bit more extreme, but that came from your world and popular... I don't know the history of it, and that's not something I provide, but... But, but that's out there. You see sure, that, Farah? Yeah. You're into stuff that even she's not getting into. No, she knows about it. She's like, I'm just not into I it. D- I don't like oh. the intimacy of it. That's I, not something I want to, you know... I gather there that right there. Stranger. The intimacy of it. Yeah. That connects everything right there. I just... I would like to see more proof that that still exists these days, you know? Yeah. 
I'm not saying that it does exist always. I'm saying that's like the aspirational goal that people are trying to reach. When they like, I want to fall. I want to be in love with someone. And like, well, okay, what do you want? I want someone that would do everything and anything for me. And then the other person is like, well, I would do everything and anything for you, but I, I, I don't want you to ask me to do that. But if you did, I would do it. You know, I have friends that have experienced certain things that you absolutely positively have to trust this person with your life. A couple of weeks ago, I just did a full head to toe plaster mummification with someone breathing through a straw. Yes. Which took several hours and is super claustrophobic, yeah. super intense. When you say and you really plaster. have to. Yes, I mean plaster. Like you have to get a hammer to get that person out. <laughs> did, did you have to get a hammer to get that person out? No, I use safety scissors very uncomfortably, but yeah. How many coats does it take to mummify a person in plaster, Maya? Well, let's see. Using the strips that I use, it probably took about 20 on someone that was 5 foot 10 and about 200 pounds. Three, three and a half hours, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. During this time, are you two talking about current events? Are you listening? <laughs> are you watching a movie? Like, Or is it just dead silent? He's doing whatever she says. He's got to hold the hell still if she's going to mummify him. He can't do anything. Well, it's a little bit of talking while he can still talk. <laughs> Is this person kind in of the sort of... Kind and mindfuck and listening to music. Socially, do you have the sort of rapport where as you're mummifying someone in this case socially do you have the rapport of you two can talk about anything or is it still the power dynamic is very much in place we could talk about anything but i don't i definitely keep the power dynamic in place so it's on you to keep it going yeah Yeah. okay very leading is to like once you're you know completely fucked and you know helplessly tied up like who knows what's gonna happen that's gotta take a toll on you in the room or like torturing you or this or that that's gotta take a toll on you to keep that sort of psychological fabric woven at all times for that you know short of amount of time that's not long for me for three and a half four hours that's that's short that's short for me what's your average session time most of my sessions are long i'd say four to six hours are my average oh my god so you got to clear out half a day pretty much the whole day okay so you cover a dude in plaster he's how long does it take to get him hard how long does it take for the plaster to get hard? <laughs> da, da, da. It depends you. if I'm blowing them or not. Hey, it's in a hair dryer. Yes. <laughs> oh, you just... <laughs> so you use a hair, hair dryer. dryer. Yeah, helps be the process. So to get them hard, with... really hard, rock hard, like knock on rock hard. Yeah. You're a pervert. <laughs> I already said that. I know. Within Thank like you. a minute of talking to you. Um. So <laughs> you've got this guy completely encased in plaster. Now, then what? Now, I mean, how long do you, does one wither in plaster? How long does that experience last? It depends on the scene. Usually by that point, they want to have um, a little bit of isolation time where they can try to fidget inside the plaster and see like, and how they can't, much they you can You have their move. mouth covered too? They can't talk? Straw He's in the He's breathing mouth, through a straw. So yeah. But with tape over, straw in place. How do you communicate yeah, with that person? It's not easy, but I mean, a series of grunts can be used as language. Morse code? So. <laughs> not really yeah, but okay. you know just like a grunt two times if yeah. you need help and that, and that shit if is, it's urgent that is dangerous no yeah 100 the straw could go bad i mean it's, and that it's, relates to your professionalism you're totally prepared for nightmare scenarios in that case though right 100 100 when you tell that to me i'm thinking if this is someone who i haven't known for years which i assume you didn't know this person i've known years. him for a long time okay so yeah. i've seen him for a couple years yeah okay so you have a rapport an ongoing rapport which is great if you tell me that scenario that makes me think how do you know someone's not going to with full sensory deprivation while they're in there 
wig out anxiety attack within their the stretches of their own mind. If he hadn't had any experience with doing heavy bondage, there's no way I would have agreed to doing a scene like that right, of any sort. Right, right. But we started off doing lighter bondage, lighter we mummification, up built up to it, mm-hmm. and I knew that he could handle something like that. So, if it was a question, I would have not yeah. not done it at all and just said, okay, you know, maybe we'll try an inflatable hood that will give you that sensation and see if you enjoy it first. Mm-hmm. But What is your nightmare preparation? For that, should anything go awry? Well, certainly having a means of getting out. So, like, having safety scissors, a handsaw if it comes down to it, glucose tabs if he starts getting lightheaded inside. Things of that nature. Ready to go. Glucose tabs. I started him off standing and tied to a suspension unit that I could lower him down to the ground with. So... It would be, uh, he'd be tied up at the same time for lowering. He opted not to do that because he felt he could keep his balance for long enough. But okay. I had a system set up so that, you know, when lowering him, he wouldn't fall down easily or quickly. Just, it's a lot of mental prep. Like, how am I going to get from point A to point B while keeping him safe, having him be able to breathe, you know, having him hydrated and all that. Yeah. I'm a certified project manager. It sounds very similar to project management where you have contingency plans to contingency plans. You have yeah. a backup and if this goes wrong then you have your you have your safety contingency and then you, you have a contingency plan. If he comes in he's like, Well, I don't have a thousand dollars today, you know, so you have a you have a financial contingency plan. Okay, well you wanna experience this. This is the number and you can get something very close to this. Um sounds very much like that. I really like how you're finding the parallels between her line of work and any other sort of corporate everyday American. No, I'm, I'm not saying it facetiously. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. I, my look is not bad. I'm like, I, uh, I think that there are very few things out there that are actually new. You look at me. We look at. We're very different, right? Like, right. Hank is different than me. I would bet that you and I, Hank and I, have way more in common than we do different. Even if it's me just like plucking away at fucking Excel all day and PowerPoint. I'm and, sitting and, there on iMovie editing all day as right, well. Right. I'm editing photos in front of the But, but even, even, even on a deeper level, the things yeah. that we like to enjoy, we like to enjoy them for different reasons. Like, so I, I sit here and I hear what you say about the intimacy, but I challenge that a little bit because there's no way possible, not attacking you, that you can plaster someone for three to four hours and not have a sense of form of intimacy with that person. Oh, for sure. There's definitely a connection. Absolutely. And she had to build that relationship up over several years to get to that intimacy. I I agree. And then I would say this, just like, you know, uh, when someone enters a a room, kind of what they, right. I'm very observant too. everybody that comes into this studio. I have, like they always give me the handshake and they want to give me a hug. You offered I, the hug first. I offered, yeah. I offered the hug, but I saw you kind of like, uh, I don't really know if I want to hug this person. But that, so that I noticed that before you even said, I don't like anybody touching me. And so when you said that, I was like, oh, that makes sense. This person. No, I'm not a touchy person. She doesn't, doesn't want to hug from me because. It's not you. That, I'm just yeah, not a that's touchy person. Mm-hmm. Your job is to do that. My, my job, one of the reasons why I got into this podcast, because I have an ability to get people to open up very quickly about stuff, right? That yeah. they may not have told someone else. Is that a skill? I don't know. Did I go to school for it? Definitely not. But it's always been there. It's a learned thing, yeah. Right? To Hank's point, there are all these parallels. Because as I was sitting there, as I was learning, I was like, this sounds like what everybody wants. It's just expressed in a different way. You all are expressing it 
this certain way and other people try to express it in that way. And what you're talking about the parallels with your work and project management, I've never had a nine to five job or anything of the sort. But from what you're describing, it does have that same sort of structure and yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear about from my perspective. Because yeah. yeah. I don't know about these things either. You're problem solving. You're creating an experience. One of the things I hear that you haven't really delved into really is that this is really in some way kind of an art form. It's because you, you talk about sensory and the and feel and the touch, mm-hmm. the rope play and the bindings and the, the smell of the leather, the smell of the rope. People really get into that and they could have this whole two-hour experience. They will be brought back to that moment by a certain smell, uh, a yeah, certain touch. Absolutely. There's a lot of art involved in that because some of these things, when you get to the end of it, right, some of us might see like plastered man with straw sticking <laughs> out of his mouth. But if you'd really take a look at like the work that goes into it. It's like, that's kind of a beautiful thing. We playing our roles have created this. And then the term role and the act kind of harkens this, like this idea of, of theater and play. Talk to me about your interest in clowns. Didn't you do a performance in front of the AVN awards dressed up as a clown? Well, I performed as a clown a lot. You're talking about the sex awards show, which is uh, different, but related. Yeah, I do clown performance stuff. It's one of my personal outlets. I'll engage in it in session, but it's not that many people get into clowns. Uh, it's more something I do in my personal life for fun. Is it a kink or is it just for you just social play? Like, let's all wear makeup and beat each other with rubber chickens. It's more of a fun outlet that can be sexual. <laughs> I might be blushing a little. Tell me about your personal clown <laughs> sex life, Maya. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of an instance I'd love to tell you about, but I'm not going to because, again, uh, privacy That's issues. That's fine. <laughs> it involves squeaky toys, so. <laughs> Can, are you able to address this abstractly? No. God damn it. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a fun outlet that I do find sexual as well. Okay. But Do you do that professionally or primarily personally? I've done clown scenes in a non-sexual aspect sure. that are more ones that involve splashing like we talked about earlier. But yeah, mostly it's a, a personal thing. Can you say what you enjoy most about clowning? Just being silly and goofy. So and take nothing seriously. Really not giving a fuck and just having fun. And Longest session you've ever done? I've done a lot of weekend sessions that have been full day, like three day sessions. Like you can't um, leave your dungeon for three days? Yeah, unless I take them on outings or lock them or I've hired sitters sometimes to come in and just like listen to the baby monitors and monitor them baby monitors yeah they're left alone well with someone monitoring their baby right but i mean for their sake of reality there's no one around them they don't know that they are left left in captivity yeah they think i've left the house and not coming back till who knows when but yeah they're always regarded and listened to so it's like three a three-day weekend singular session Mm -hmm. wow (sighs) farthest you've traveled to deliver services I've played a lot in the UK. I know I've done sessions in Germany. But these are things where I'd plan a vacation and be like, okay, I'm going here. Who wants to play? So sure. I saw someone in Prague and this and that. But I would assume that like, also helped to offset the costs. Yeah. Well, usually I travel with slaves and they pay for everything anyway. But yeah. is, your, is your limit still not shitting on someone? No, I mean, I've definitely shit on people a bunch okay. of times. <laughs> Just when I started, it's not something like I don't want to, again, the intimacy. I didn't want to do something that intimate. Most extreme kink that you can tell us about that you've done. 
not most extreme for me, but I had someone book a session that was like something like four or five hours of heavy CBT, which is cock and ball torture. And I had an apprentice at the time that was just starting to get into that. And I was like, well, he said he can take extreme play. And she really wanted to learn how to do suturing. And we're going to be doing some branding. So I'd planned out some kind of extreme stuff. I'm going to say in quotes, this man having um, get disrobed, he was a eunuch and didn't tell me this ahead of time. So uh those are still a thing. (laughs) That's a thing. So I was completely unprepared for seeing a eunuch. Was that a result, if you know, of a medical necessity? Or if this man is into torture, is that... Well, the man told me a story that, quote man, told me a story that I don't believe to be true. But I'm sure that he hired someone that had half a decent skill set to provide this service. But this is something you you divulge in the, do you have any safety concerns? Well, yeah. Or, if you're into, do you have any previous back injuries? Are you allergic in, to anything? Are you a eunuch? If you're into <laughs> testicular torture and you don't have testicles. His rounded kind of stump was lumpy and it had like a hole for his urethra that was rerouted. But essentially he was trying to get me to cut him open, saw off the stump that was there and make it more rounded and suture him back up and make him more of a smooth His eunuch. urethra was out? Sorry, he didn't even have... No, it was have rerouted. A... It was coming... It was, like, more of uh, a motion to, like, maybe... Did he still have a belly penis or... Oh, no. no it was, it was a stomp. I was thinking castration. You said eunuch, which means Ken doll. Yeah. Okay. That wasn't extreme for me because I ended up doing, like, very, like, play with him. And it was just, like, I didn't agree to this. And I saw him for a couple hours. And he was very upset that I wouldn't perform a surgery on him essentially there's no equipment to play with he had an unhealthy relationship with that and that's probably what led to that oh 100 and he was looking for someone to practice surgery on him which i was not willing to do continuously had lots of people do some type of surgery and that's where he ended up yeah and he was very much lying coming in trying to deceive me and i mean that was that was really fucked up for me what was the funniest moment you've ever had in a dungeon when we're you're laughing the most I've done this a couple times, but one of my, like, I guess, guilty pleasures of, like, stupid things to do is to tar and feather someone and take them out in public. <laughs> that's straight out of the Looney Tunes. That's a Bugs Bunny gimmick. So, yeah, that's one of my favorite things to do. That, that makes You me cover laugh. someone that's in tar, great. put feathers on them, and then have them walk outside? I use chocolate syrup, okay. and I use, like, <laughs> embellishment feathers from a craft store. But, yeah, I've done that. Where do you have them walk? times. Well, sometimes I garbage bag them and throw them in my trunk and I'll take them out somewhere. Sometimes I'll put a sandwich board on them and take them out with me in public and have it say humiliating things and take them to say Cobra Lounge. (laughs) I I wanted to go there. Is there anything else that, any misconceptions or any other just general declarations that you'd like to tell people? I think that we already touched on, like, the most common misconception is sure. that it's just, you know, yeah. uh, BDSM is all about having sex with clients, and that's yeah. not what it's about. Other than that, I mean, I just want to encourage people to, if they're playing with themselves or with others, to uh, look up safety aspects and make sure what they're doing is safe, that they have a means of getting out of their bondage or know what they're getting involved in. And if people are going out there and experimenting with people they meet online, it's very important to have a safety network set up. So you have a friend you check in with that you give their phone number and address to, you know, regardless if it's someone you can research online or a stranger it's kind of important to have a a check-in just 
all around. Is there anything that you want to plug? Well, if people want to check out my videos, my member site is mistressmyasensress.com, and my video stores are myoraladdictions.com, myfetishaddictions.com, tickleinvasion.com, and if people are interested in this session, my website is sensress.net. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah and Hank. Intro, mixing, editing is done by Alyssa Moxley. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls. And the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com. Or on Twitter, our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com.